Welcome to the Off The Turf Podcast. guest on today's podcast is an author of two books, a nutritionist, a PT, founder of The Food Medic, and has an incredible social media following. She's also a medical doctor with the NHS and has spent the past few weeks on the front line helping fight the situation we are faced with. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Hazel Wallace to the Off the Turf podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Your rap sheets uh, almost need a couple of pages to get all those things in that you're, you've accomplished <laughs> in such a short time. Thank you. Um, the reason I wanted, wanted to talk to you today is, you know, get your, your perspective on all things, you know, nutrition, fitness, immunity, maybe de- de- debunk a few myths while we're at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do, I'd like to sort of break the ice with a few quick fire questions, if that's okay. Okay, go for it. So I'll just sort of do a, a quick, uh, you know, yes or, uh, and or, and, and you just give me some quick answers, that'll be great. All right, so favourite holiday destination? Oh, that's so tough, but I think it would have to be Australia, which you're going to be happy about. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, drink of choice? Uh, coffee or white wine. <laughs> very good. Porridge or eggs on toast? Mm, porridge. A good book or a good movie? A good book. Your favourite Netflix series you've watched? Ooh, um, Money Heist. Okay. Um, Chris Hemsworth or Brad Pitt? <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. Good, good answer. That's very patriotic for me. Um, halloumi burger or tofu curry? Halloumi burger. And would you rather do a yoga session or a functional fitness session? Um, functional fitness. Very good. Um, so given the situation we're in, I want to just briefly touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you got redeployed into the COVID wards towards the end of March. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty quickly when things kicked off, I was redeployed from um, my normal team, which is nutrition, um, to a COVID team. How did you, how did that make you feel? Were you kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say excited, but prepared to, to go in there and, and was it like apprehensive? Yeah, I think... It happened really quickly. So I was on the ward on a Wednesday just doing the normal work and one of the doctors approached me and said, how would you feel about joining the COVID team? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to go wherever. And then, you know, by Friday, I signed up and joined the team and was on the ward. So it happened very, very quickly. And I was so shocked at how efficient everyone became at like transforming the hospital because Obviously, you have to not only consider things like PPE and, um, you know, the kind of management and treatment of patients, but also making sure that wards are prepared and that, you know, it's a it's a huge mission. Um, so I absolutely was apprehensive before I was going in. I had no idea what to expect. No one really did, though. And I think no. that whole sense of you know, team building, you know, all the consultants, juniors and um, everyone in between, we were all kind of on the same playing field, dealing with a new beast that no one really knew what to deal with. And I think that really like pulled us together. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really like proud of how well 
we got through it. And luckily now we're seeing fewer and fewer cases. You know, it's still a huge, a huge issue. And I know that we'll be going through it for a long time and it'll probably change the NHS for good. But um, I think how we dealt with it in the NHS is really commendable. Yeah, it must have been a phenomenal operation to get everything set up. And it is like, you know, a lot of us, including myself, haven't, you know, we haven't been immersed in it. And it's hard to comprehend what it's like, you know, on that front line. And you know, your your daily Instagram updates have been brilliant, yeah. giving sort of scientific synopsis and, and, and your take on, you know, your day and, and the information that's been given out from the government. Like being, you spend your day in it all day. How do you, how, how have you removed yourself, you know, switched off? And, you know, try to have an element of normality in your life of an evening or the days you aren't working. I haven't. Told, I, f- I feel like no one can really switch off from it. It's very difficult um, because dealing with patients who are unwell, I'm trying to use my platform, which is normally focused on nutrition and fitness, to share updates on the kind of COVID situation here in the UK. And so it's very difficult to detach, but I've found like a lot of, um, I guess, escapism in fitness. Um, I've been running a lot more. I've been also, you know, ensuring that I'm checking in with friends, not just for their benefit, but also mine and just making sure, you know, we are getting in the Zoom calls. We are, you know, having pub quizzes, doing partner workouts, whatever it might be, just making sure that I'm not totally isolated but to be honest work has been really good for me because I'm able to go in and do my job and I feel like I'm actually coming home and doing something that's worthwhile which might seem unusual to some people but I'm grateful to have that routine yeah definitely Um, yeah I think that's one of the biggest things for everyone at the moment is who isn't working you know going to work coming home and having that you know structure is it is that routine and how do you how do you sort of maintain some type of normality when you don't leave your house aside from, you know, maybe half an hour, an hour a day when you exercise. But I think the exercise that everyone's been doing um, throughout this period has has allowed or given people a little bit of a structure and break both mentally and physically to kind of challenge themselves. And, you know, I think I'm I'm in the, I've I've run more in the past four weeks than I have probably in the past four years, um, which is, which is kind of good. Sometimes I'm not, not a huge fan of running, but, um, Maybe I will be after this. Um, one of the big topics around, obviously, any virus, it's it's your immune system and immune system or boosting foods like vitamin C. You know, they talk about it, it helps fight colds or turmeric is anti-inflammatory and other other things. Yeah, well, just give us a bit of a, I guess, a, in your sort of scientific opinion, is it is there a way to actually boost your immune system and help fight things like this off? Um, I guess the first thing to say is that you can't really boost your immune system through diet and there's no like specific food or diet or supplement that will prevent you from catching COVID or any kind of sickness Um, but obviously there like a good diet and an overall healthy lifestyle can support your immune system so the normal functioning of the immune system I just think that message often gets lost or overhyped by um, supplements and I think it's unfortunate especially during things like the pandemic because 
people obviously feel quite vulnerable, they might feel desperate. And then, you know, if there's new supplements coming out or specific diets that are preying on those feelings, it's really easy to fall into that trap. Um, so really the best approach when it comes to supporting your immune system is just a healthy balanced diet. There's no kind of specific supplements you need to take on top. And the only caveat to that is here in the UK, we're often told that we should take vitamin um, D throughout the winter and autumn months. And what they've been advising is now that we're kind of staying indoors more, although some people are going outside for exercise and things like that, our, how much vitamin D we're making from the sun is obviously going to be limited. And so vitamin D is the one supplement that we've been advised to consider taking during this time on top of a healthy diet. But in addition to that, it still goes back to the basics of ensuring you're getting enough exercise, trying to manage your stress levels, getting enough sleep. Um, and all of those things contribute to the normal, healthy functioning of our immune system, because I don't think people often realize that actually, if you're sleep deprived, you're also depriving your immune system. If you're stressed, you're also dampening your immune system. And so there's lots of pieces to the puzzle but there's no specific thing, unfortunately, that you can take that's going to um, kind of make you superhuman to a virus or any kind of illness. No, I think, yeah, it's a really valid point, isn't it? And I think sleep and, and stress and um, exercise always come up with anything to do with, you know, mental or physical um, uh, well-being, doesn't it? And I think a couple of people you speak to recently and like just how important sleep is, um, even now is just, you know, people are probably getting more sleep and not having to travel to and from work, but um, just one of those things that can, um, can help long-term as well, can't it? Absolutely. So let's move on to, so I guess your kind of nickname is, is the food medic. Um, <laughs> how did that come about? Um, so I started the food medic, um, oh gosh, how long ago now? 2012. Um and I had, I was just coming to the end of my first degree, which was medical sciences and um, had applied to go into graduate entry medicine. So I knew that that was going to be my road and I was going to become a doctor at some point if I passed all my exams. And I guess after my first degree or I, you know, like anyone really enjoyed myself, did zero exercise, ate a lot of fast food drank a lot of cider yeah. um I, I thought you know I'm probably not a good example of what a you know what a healthy lifestyle should look like and if I'm I'm going to go advise my patients and I feel like a bit of a hypocrite and so it was around that time I started to read blogs really and then start to look for the evidence as to what a good diet actually looks like and is there a diet that we should all be on what is the best diet and realize that actually there is no one best diet but there's a lot of um noise online there was a lot of articles that were very misleading and very much extrapolating the science but not in a good way and so I was like well I've got you know a science degree under my belt I'm about to enter into medicine maybe I will start to distill what I find um in the evidence and try to make um make a very user friendly and and share it in a format that's easy to read and that's so I chose Instagram initially and this was at a time where Instagram wasn't really a thing 
And so I would, you know, write very short captions that were just sharing little snippets of information. And I think it grew very quickly because I had a science backing and that was unusual because a lot of the bloggers at the time were very much just, you know, um, normal guys and girls with no science backing, but they were giving, you know, quite unusual (laughs) health advice and maybe sharing recipes and making health claims about them. And so I guess that set me apart. And by my final year of med school, I had I was offered my first book deal, and I wrote that um, whilst sitting my medical finals, and then moved to London to start working as a doctor. In my first year of working as a doctor, I wrote my second book, and it really just kind of grew from there. Um, and I continued working as a doctor. And last year took a year out to study a master's to become a nutritionist. And that wasn't really to change my career per se, but I felt like in order to fully be sure that I was um, giving out the right information and fully understanding the evidence, because medical science and nutrition science are very different beasts and how we interpret the evidence from the research is very, very different. And so even going through that master's only a year ago, I learned a lot. It was a steep learning curve, but a really important one. And um, I came out of that with a kind of a new frame of thought, but also it, I feel like I had a lot of tools in my toolbox. And then since then I've been working specifically with patients who require nutrition support within the hospital. Um, And that's not, you know, prescribing fruit and vegetables it's for people who require artificial feeding and so it's very clinical it's very niche uh, it's not something that many of your listeners will know much about maybe or but it's a very uh it's really important for my patients and it's their life-saving treatment for many of them so um it's very cool to be able to blend both nutrition and medicine um it's kind of like i i don't know sealed my own faith all those years yeah, ago like it's, uh probably the most impressive thing is you study to be a doctor which for most people is is hard enough and you managed to write two amazing books and now you're doing a master's and you're managing to still work out and stay fit and healthy and have a normal life um at the same time so you, you touched on how you do i guess you know the, the the thing the work you do do at hospitals is a little bit different so i guess the everyday you know community we're in but i guess what can relate is you know how you know, changing people's diets and and going from say eating McDonald's to eating chicken and broccoli every day every day isn't going to happen in one step. Or going from sitting on a couch mm. to running a marathon is you know it's it's a gradual process. Do you have any like any tips or or guidance for people who do want to change their bad habits or unhealthy habits, whether whether it is nutrition or exercise, and then ways to I guess just improve in in one one facet? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's not. Um, kind of doing everything at once and it's always going to be a progressive um, kind of progress the thing is a huge amount of this is all down to behavior change and there's a lot of kind of psychology and science behind all of this and the person really needs to be motivated to do it for themselves and that could be for you know various reasons it could be health reasons it could be um you know for a, a goal in mind whether that's a date um down the line that they want to reach or whatever it might be and 
I think really tapping into the why is the most important thing because you want someone to be motivated in order for them to be able to maintain and sustain whatever change they want to bring about. And then it's breaking down that goal into so many different steps. So it's, if it's, you know, it's a, if it's a very wide goal, it's like, I just want to be healthy. I just want to, um, you know, improve my diet. That can be that needs to be structured a little bit more. So maybe it's that, you know, this week you are hitting your five a day every day. And while for some people listening, that might seem like a really simple step for some people, it's a really big step. You know, I come across people who don't even meet, you know, two a day. And so it really depends on where you're at and where you want to get to. Um, You know, for me, for example, in January, I set myself a running goal and that started as, I just want to be able to run 5k comfortably. Um, But how I went about doing that was every week adding in a run in intervals. And then I added in two runs. And now I'm up to running, you know, 10, 11k very comfortably. And it's, it's kind of, it doesn't matter how fit and healthy you are, it depends on the goal and depends on where you are in your journey. So it's really the, the most important thing was, well, for some people, it might be the most difficult thing is tapping into that why and writing it down and kind of mapping out where you are and that why is translates to almost everything in in life we do doesn't it so um 12 2012 only eight years ago but it could be almost generations in the lifespan of food education um i know there's Mm. like since instagram started there's been every kind of trend or uh, this is the way to eat this is this is the diet you need what are some what are some positive shifts in nutrition education that you've seen over the past I guess you know few years that kind of maybe debunked a few of the things that in 2012 were kind of the leading trends on yeah in in the industry or on social media yeah I think um there's definitely definitely been a positive shift and I think a lot more people are calling out for evidence and uh realize that you know fads and fatty diets don't work um and I think you know there's a lot of people who you know not necessarily not necessarily would have a nutrition background but they can recognize what's you know definitely not going to work but there's been a fair few and I think the biggest things and there's lots of diets that come and go I know like when I first began the food medic at the time in 2012 like paleo was a big thing and low carb diets were another thing and kind of sugar was deemed um the devil and fat was kind of put on a pedestal as that's what we should be all opting for you know a higher fat a higher protein diet um and you know over the last few years i think people are starting to realize that actually all of the macronutrients are quite important and if we any of them out of whack whether that is too little or too large you tend to run into problems and I say 10 because there's caveat with everything and some people do thrive on certain diets that are for example low carb high fat but on the other hand some people thrive on diets that are high in carbohydrates and it really depends and I think one of the things that people are realizing is it's whatever is sustainable and it's whatever is personally like a preference for you and that's kind of where I start at whenever I'm advising anyone because you know we are all we're all brought up in you know different countries different households different ways of eating and so what's going to work for you isn't going to necessarily work for me and we're all going to have different activity levels as well different styles of training and we're going to tolerate food differently so there's lots of different things we need to take into consideration and it's never 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 a one diet fits all 
But saying that, I think we're also starting to realize how important nutrition is in the overall picture of health. Whereas when I went to medical school, we didn't talk about nutrition at all. We, you know, we didn't even focus on it. And, you know, we live in a world where we it's a huge amount of lifestyle related diseases, whether it be, you know, type two diabetes, heart disease, depression, you know, like even there's a lot of cancers that are associated with diet, but also inactivity. So I think what we're realizing as in the scientific community is that it's not like a pill for every ill. And actually there's a huge amount we can do before we get to that stage. And that's really the why for the food medic. That's really why I started the food medic because I, if we like go all the way back when I was 14, my dad had a stroke at the dinner table and witnessing that was like a huge, a huge kind of, moment for me for lots of reasons but I also kind of set me on this journey that I want to be a doctor but I don't just want to be a doctor that you know prescribes pills and and does surgery well that's really important I want to be able to help people before they get to the stage where they have type 2 diabetes high blood pressure and then they're you know on a road to a stroke or a heart disease there's there's not a pill for each ill I like that (laughs) yeah yeah and I think it's just you know it's only going to get worse in that we move less and we live in a very convenient lifestyle where, you know, you only have to swipe your phone and there's like, you know, amazing delivery that's on the doorstep. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, we have to kind of fight against our environment in order to save our biology. Our, our environment with technology now is, you know, you can sit on your couch for, and then you, you click a button and there's a taxi outside your door in five minutes. You don't have to, really you know you don't have to move much if you don't want to um so we'll get on to that actually in a moment or probably a good segue into i know fitness is a is a huge part of your life um now and and in the past has it always been have you always been into your sport um from an early age um i was as a you know as a kid i was in doing every kind of sport from soccer tennis badminton hockey um And I think as a teenager, especially around the time I lost my dad, I just lost interest. But that was probably for multiple reasons, you know, like when you become a teenager, your interests change. And I guess that kind of fell by the wayside. And, you know, one of the things I kick myself about is not, you know, doing sport at uni. And I say it to any time I do a talk at university, I'm like, join a sports team because it's the easiest, cheapest way to stay fit. But um, when I started the food medic is when I really started my fitness journey again. And I guess it started like with everyone basic, you know, bodybuilding, the gym style training, probably doing too much on a cross trainer um, treadmill. And then slowly found my way into weightlifting, which was really in a powerlifting gym. And so a lot of, I was training in the Welsh valleys at the time. And so like I, you know, these big burly men who took me under the wing, their wing, and they're like, "We're going to teach you how to bench." <laughs> and then, <laughs> that was when my love for lifting barbells <laughs> kind of started. And yeah, it just kind of evolved over the years. And now CrossFit's my main yeah. sport. Uh, and I guess I'm trying to run, but more so just because I want to be as functional as I can and. And, you know, when I travel, I want to be able to go out my front door and, you know, explore the city and not feel like I'm dying yeah. <laughs> and, and just do like that. You know, I want to I don't want to 
I don't want to force myself to do any competitions or anything. I'm not keen on doing a marathon. I just want to be fit and functional. And I absolutely know that it's important for my mental health as well, especially during this time. So that's one of my biggest drivers. When you say competitions, doesn't mean you won't do a turf games ever. <laughs> I'll definitely get, get you in the next one. But um, it's, it's, I guess, one of the biggest sort of myths that have has been debunked in the past couple of years, especially around, I guess, female weight training and even taking supplements around protein. And if you do that, you aren't going to become the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger or a bodybuilder. And um, have you seen a big shift in, I guess, you know, the way that the industry's changed um, since you started to now? And you know how, I guess. I wouldn't just say the female group, but also the male group is a perception of, of weight training and how it does affect the body. It doesn't happen overnight. If everyone could become the size of Arnie, if they wanted to, it would be a different world. But um, do you think it's down to the education that everyone's is now, I guess, has readily available? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we've done well in terms of educating. I definitely think those myths still, you know, are around and, you know, I definitely hear it from women who, when they see maybe videos of me lifting a barbell like they gasp and say you know are you are you not concerned that you're going to get really bulky and I think that is you know this is such a complex thing because it's not just it's it's hugely based on kind of society and and how we you know perceive male and female bodies should look and also kind of how like if you go into a gym it's usually like quite segregated in terms of a female section and a male section like I'm talking about a commercial gym here and I think we need to move away from that and you know sports like CrossFit or like you know the competitions that you run like turf games really does break down those barriers and it's not it doesn't really emphasize who's male and female it's more like you're an athlete and any athlete can do this workout and yes you may have to scale it in certain ways for kind of weight weights and things like that but it's not kind of changing the workout per se based on what gender you are what sex you are and I think that's really important but going back to your point on kind of you know you're not going to become Arnie overnight I think like a lot of women don't realize that males have completely different hormone profile like they've They've got a lot of testosterone, which really does help build muscle. Um, they're just like physically built to have more muscle and less body fat, whereas women are kind of, it's it's a lot more difficult to build muscle. And we tend to hold a lot more fat for obvious reasons, for reproductive reasons. And then when it comes to building muscle, you also have to be in a calorie surplus and you also have to have protein and a lot of energy in there. So there's lots of pieces to the puzzle and and it's like you said it's not just for women to hear that message but also men so if you are a male and you feel like you're struggling to build muscle in the gym it's a slow process and you do need to eat a lot and you do need to be consistent definitely comes down to your macro profile doesn't it and um yeah i think consistency and and it's progression you can't just lift the same weight every day and expect to become stronger and, and bigger and it same as same as with food and with um with your training and just, I guess, people's training in, in general, how do you, like, from an eating point of view, say from a strength athlete, someone looking to build, you know, muscle versus, say, an endurance um, athlete, how, how how do people's sort of nutrition profiles sort of differ depending on what sport you are doing? It really depends. Like, that's the most annoying answer, <laughs> but it really depends on the athlete. If you're talking about, like, you know, your everyday athlete, I'd, I put myself in that category 
I don't actually get too bogged down with my nutrition in terms of I don't have specific macronutrient splits. But I guess if you have uh, a good kind of handle on your nutrition, you have an overall healthy, balanced diet, you know kind of what tweaks you need to do in and around your training. So, for example, if you're uh, before a workout, you may want to maximize on getting some carbohydrates in there, especially some that are easily digestible to have some fuel on board. Um, after your training, you're looking more at kind of repairing what you've done. So you're looking at getting more protein in there, but also carbohydrates. And then overall, you're looking at ensuring that you're having enough calories throughout the day and throughout the week to support your training. Because I think what a lot of people fall down on is they just think about that one hour training window and maybe the hour either side, but they're not thinking about the 24 hour period. They're not thinking about the seven day week. And again, nutrition is not the only factor that comes in rest recovery are also really important. Um, but in terms of going back to your first point on endurance and strength, I guess the main difference is endurance tends to be over longer periods. So you want to have a lot more energy availability. So they tend to have more intra-workout fuel, whereas with a strength, um, someone who's focusing on strength, it's really just focusing on your pre and post-workout um, proteins, your main thing there because of the, the muscle element. But protein in any athlete's important. And I think that's something that, people don't necessarily think about no definitely and i think you touched on you know having a, a pre or a, a post-workout kind of um nutrition what 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 are sort of two nutrition or, or snacks that you may have before or after a, a workout just to i guess give you the fuel or the recovery any, yeah any kind of go, um, go to go to quick i guess tips for people yeah, I'd say before pre-workout, if you haven't eaten a meal in, say, you know, 90 minutes or two hours beforehand, then you want to, it's kind of wise to have a small snack, but also bear in mind that people tolerate food very differently when it comes to training. Some people feel really nauseous um, when they are training, especially if you're doing a big session. So you want to know, you kind of have to know on a personal level, what are you going to tolerate and what are you going to um have that's going to make you feel good in your session so you want to have enough fluid on board first of all but usually a good um like I said easily digestible form of carbohydrate so it might be uh, you know like oat cakes and a mashed banana or some peanut butter um fruit is always a good option a protein shake but again protein can sometimes make people feel a little bit queasy when you're working out if you're doing a big um workout but blending up a protein shake with some frozen fruit or frozen banana is um a good snack um they're just kind of like some of the simple things dried fruit like handful of dried fruit and nut yeah. you don't need a huge amount before your training um but it's often good to just have a little bit of fuel in the tank to keep you going, especially if you're going to do something like CrossFit, whereas it's kind of high impact and it's not like a low fuel burning process. And then when it comes to after you eat, um, you know, there's always debates as to how soon after you have to have food. Again, if your next meal is going to be two hours away, three hours away, ideally you'd have something in the meantime especially if you're looking to really work on your performance and you want to maximize your training then it's wise you know like if you can then you should 
Um, and that could be a, a protein shake again with um, a banana as a, as a quick snack before you're having a big meal. If you are going to have a meal, then again, it's really simple protein carbohydrates. So that could be chicken, vegetables, sweet potato, or it could be tofu, stir fry rice, that kind of thing. Eggs and toast is a great thing. Granola and Greek yogurt is a high protein, high carbohydrate snack. Bagel with banana and peanut butter, pasta salad with chicken. There's so many different options. And uh, I think try not to get stuck too much into just having the same thing all the time. Because again, we're looking at the overall picture and variety in the diet's also really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wanted to come on to the topic of collagen. It's it's recently been mentioned a lot in the supplement space as a kind of joint tendon regenerate. Can you, I think probably like myself until recently, you didn't really know what it was. Can you talk us through what collagen actually is? And is there any scientific evidence to back it up from a sport or performance point of view? Yeah, I think um, collagen's really become uh, quite popular recently. And it's not just from a sport point of view, but also like beauty and wellness and things like that. Um, I think most of us know that there's collagen in our body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we know it's in our skin. We know it's on our joints. And that's absolutely correct. Uh, collagen is a protein, essentially, and it's the most abundant protein in the body. Um and essentially how you have it, um, you can you can get dietary sources of collagen, which are not in supplements. And that can be in, in meat, in poultry, in fish, um, in gelatin uh, products, in bone broth. And then you can get it in supplements, which is normally in hydrolyzed collagen form. And that's um, sometimes they add it to drinks and things like that. You see it in everything now, um, basically. Um so when we kind of look at all of the evidence in terms of there's some some loose evidence for kind of skin effects in terms of in, improving the appearance of skin but actually i would kind of argue that more basic things like ensuring you're wearing spf and like following a healthy diet and getting enough sleep and not smoking are probably the most important low-hanging fruit that you should kind of look for first and then when it comes to um kind of the sports industry it's really looking at joint pain and then uh kind of um recovery from injuries especially ligament injuries and I know there's a lot of sports teams uh rugby teams in London and the surrounding areas who do use collagen um they use it with collagen and vitamin c for um recovery from ligament injuries and there's some evidence there but a lot of it is um very very gray um so yes there is some evidence for skin health some evidence for the reduction in joint pain from osteoarthritis and then some evidence for the use in uh recovery from ligament injuries but when it comes to having that over protein supplements for say training benefits so if we're just looking at training um and overall kind of performance enhancements there's actually not really any evidence and while it may help with muscle protein synthesis so muscle growth um it's hard to know whether that's just because you're having more protein or you're having collagen per se so really in terms of if we're looking at like you know collagen versus whey protein i would typically say you're probably getting a bit more bang for your buck if you go with a whey supplement 
if that's what you're looking at when it comes to um, kind of muscle growth and performance. Does that answer your question? It, it does indeed. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, obviously, we, t- we touched on at the start how extremely busy your life has been and you still manage to work to work out maintain fitness and you know fit in you know fitness into such a busy lifestyle do you have any tips for people who want to get moving more but just I guess that excuse that I'm too busy kind of creeps in a lot yeah um I think I would first say you know like going back to your why and making sure it's a priority um but also kind of finding how you're going to fit it into your schedule. So one of the things I always say is like book it into your diary, like you would an appointment or a podcast or whatever is important to you. You slot those times in. And it might be that if you are day dot and you're a complete novice to training that you're, you know, the first week you try get in two sessions maybe the first two weeks you do two sessions and then you build it up to three sessions the next week and kind of try to find your rhythm. Um, doing that at part at times of the day that you know you're not going to be disturbed. So for me, I'll do it early in the morning, first thing before I know that people are jumping on email or texting me to do things. Um, and that way I can just kind of lock in and do my own thing. Um, finding a, f- a form of exercise you enjoy so like you know everyone's out running at the moment and obviously that's a form of escapism but some people absolutely hate running and you might be doing it thinking this is you know really not enjoyable for me so you might find that actually doing a home hit workout or doing boxing or doing skipping might be more enjoyable for you and so it's kind of maybe exploring those different options um and seeing what's good um and and what you know feels feels right for you and just making it easy you know before before all of this I used to get off the tube two stops early and just making sure that I'm getting in my steps a day especially if I'm in the hospital but it's really simple things like that and just making sure that every part of your day is as active as possible because it's not just about moving more it's also about sitting less and sitting is an independent risk factor for lots of um, health conditions so even if you are meeting your uh, recommended daily exercise you know that the government set us which is essentially 150 minutes a week even if you are getting that a week but you sit all day at your desk you're still at risk of lots of medical problems and so try break up your sitting every day and that might mean that you set an alarm to like get up and grab a drink of water or walk around a bit or it might be that actually you don't do 30 minutes of exercise in the day you do 10 or three 10 minute sessions throughout the day and it's just finding ways that you can essentially be as active in your day as possible definitely yeah it's all all amazing points there thank you for that um so turf games is a competition and you know when i was growing up before you know school in the you know in the 90s kind of showing my age here um it was, you know, you'd, you'd meet up the night before and everyone would just load up on on pasta, like just go nuts on plates and plates. And for people who are, say, doing a turf games, like the night before, is like, what what's your kind of advice around what type of foods, I guess, would, you know, fuel your day? I guess the night before or the morning of that kind of help, um, I guess, enhance performance. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously turf games is, a big day of events and so you're training a lot the thing is um as I kind of alluded to earlier when it comes to game days whether it's a game day or a race day you do need 
test it out first before the day uh, comes up because I know a lot of people kind of if it's their first game for example they almost over prepare and panic and they probably eat too much food or maybe the wrong food the night before and then it comes to game day and they're feeling really lethargic and probably still digesting some of the food from the night before so yeah it's definitely wise to get in some long-acting carbohydrates the night before and so that might be that you just add in like a bowl of porridge oats and some protein before you go to bed or a big bowl of Greek yogurt and fruit and some granola um, or like you said a pasta dinner and then the day of training um, again just focusing more on what's going to give you energy in the here and now so having a breakfast that you know you can tolerate quite well and again that could be something like eggs and toast you got your protein your carbohydrates there but it's not super high in fat that it will make it feel like it's really heavy in your stomach um, and throughout the day you want to make sure that you've got like quick acting carbohydrates to hand um again things like banana dates um I'm not a huge fan of gels but some people like them but they can cause a lot of GI upset um so just ensuring that you're getting kind of things that are easy for you to put your hand to so again uh, dried fruit and nuts similar to the things I mentioned earlier when I was talking about pre-workout um, and ensuring that you're getting a, not, a lot of water and then at the end of the day, that's when you just really you're finished your your kind of your full day of training, but you've gotten through it and you've gotten enough energy to get through. And then that's when you just need to repair, replenish, and get a lot of rest in. So actually, you know, it's not about eating huge amounts throughout the day, it's about eating enough and making sure that you just feel like you've got enough fuel in the tank to get through. Yes, that's a good point. Cause yeah, if you just had a a big protein shake before a pretty intense, you know, workout three of the day, you're going to be feel a bit lethargic throughout that, which you don't want to be. Your teammates wouldn't be so happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely trial run. I say that to everyone, you know, before anything, give it a go and then maybe test it out in a big workout and see how your body responds because it is really trial and error. And like, you know, I know a lot of people who, for example, might be plant-based and if they go on a big run, they know that they just really need to like have a, you know a very small meal because if you're having a lot of fiber before going out in a big run you're going to feel really bloated and heavy so there's lots of things to take into consideration not just the macronutrients yeah i think and that's one of the, the things that it comes down to individual bodies there's no you know one set recipe or, or food that makes everyone you know perform at their best and some people do love taking gels and some people you know that doesn't doesn't agree with their body so it is you know find out what works best for yourself is is probably the key i'd, I'd say um so what's next for hazel and the food medic um well i'm i was due to take some time out from uh kind of working full-time at the hospital to do some research and writing and um a little bit of travel but obviously since covid kicked off I've come back. So I'm now working full time at the hospital uh, for the next couple of months until we get through this COVID situation. And I guess that's put things on the back burner. But I am keen to do a lot more research um, and writing and I'll continue to do the food medic, including podcasts. And um, I'd like to do a lot more live events. Um, one thing I'm really keen is about getting a lot more researchers and scientists uh, into the public eye um, and speaking so science communication is something I'm really passionate about and I did have an amazing um, weekend event lined up which was uh, we had like you know 500 people coming to it and it was just you know a full day of different stages and speakers but 
obviously that was cancelled as, as well but we're we're hoping to find a date maybe in November to to host it so yeah it's just kind of working on that and uh trying to spread as much education as possible yeah definitely and from this you know current situation we're in with you know with the covid virus etc what are what are two things that you would like see either that people are doing now that, that that remain long term or two things you'd like to see change whether it be from a fitness and nutrition a cleanliness point of view what is what are two things that you would like to get some good outcomes that you think would would, would be from this I would like a lot more people to support the NHS from a point of view and that ensuring that we get, you know, when it comes to voting and things like that, that we put pressure on the government to make sure that we do have the resources and the money that we need. And I think it's really interesting now to see how 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 we've come through this with what we have. And it's just so, so, so important that we do back the NHS even after this whole situation. And I think the second thing to that would be, I just hope that we carry through the compassion that we have for one another right now. I think people are understanding how important what who we have in our life and not what we have in our life is important. Um, I know that I definitely see that. And so I think, yeah, well, we might come out of this being less materialistic and frivolous, I hope. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're my two things. Yeah, and no, I think that second point is, you know, now that you know life is kind of a little bit slower, you're not you're not running around driving, planning weekends, and trying to be super super busy. It the thought of going back to normal life actually makes me you know quite anxious of just like having to you know run at 110 miles per hour all the time to try and to try and keep up. And hopefully, people yeah are a lot more. Uh, I guess just that 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 word stress, which you know everyone has in their life these days. Everyone's trying to do too much and. Um, try and take a backward step and um, yeah, help the NHS. And it's been amazing the 8 PM, um, you know, in on a Thursday evening, seeing everyone come out of their house. It's just, yeah, it's, it gives you goosebumps. Yeah, it is. It's nice. Um, all right. So where can people find you um, to check you out and, you know, follow everything you're doing? I'm really easy to find. <laughs> I'm the food medic on all kind of social media platforms. I have a podcast called the food medic. My books are called The Food Medic. My website's thefoodmedic.co.uk. Um, and again, my name's Dr. Hazel Wallace. So you, if you give me a Google, you'll find me. And yeah, I'm, I'm always around. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I know how busy you are and have been over the past few weeks even more so. And just want to say a massive thank you for um, giving us the time to, to talk through this and then have a chat. And um, hopefully once this is all over, we can um, we catch up, do a, a few workouts and um, get you on the turf for our, an inner team for a turf game. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Hazel Wallace. We'll speak soon. Thank you.